The Bible declares in the 10th chapter of Romans, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In the 15th chapter it declares in the 4th verse, The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. May the Lord God bless us in Romans chapter 4 this morning to have our faith increased and hope supplied by looking at the example of Abraham again for a few minutes. Romans chapter 4, I'd like to read at verse 16 through the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him, that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Amen Amen and amen. The example of Abraham's faith found here in Romans chapter 4. In the 17th verse, which we looked at last Lord's Day, God said to him in Genesis chapter 17, I have made thee a father of many nations though he was not the father of many nations at that time. When we go back to Genesis chapter 17, we find verse 4 uses the future tense that God would make in the future Abraham to be the father of many nations. Verse 6 uses the future tense that God would make him in the future to be the father of many nations. But there in that fifth verse, I have made thee, as it's quoted here by the... Holy Spirit that brings forth the fifth verse with the perfect tense that God had already made him the father of many nations. Now God is able to call those things which be not as though they were. God is able to call Abraham the father of many nations, though he was not yet, because when God purposes to do something, it is as good as done because there is no hindrance to his power. And so when you put your trust in Him, as we just read from Psalm 121, there is no hindrance to His power. And if you have a promise of His in His Word, there is no hindrance to His will. There is no hindrance to His integrity if you trust Scripture. So believe. 
Every promise that you have in the Word of God. God made promise to Abraham. He believed it. And that example is set forth as old as Genesis and as recent as Romans. And it's referred to in Galatians and it's referred to in James. And it's referred to in Hebrews and other places as a great example of faith. And God's made promises to us. And we ought to lay hold of those promises as well. It says in the 17th verse that God who quickeneth the dead. Now how's that for a text for today? God who quickeneth the dead. Our brother Bruce and we with him understand and we're thankful to be taught that God is able to quicken the dead spiritually. That you who were dead in trespasses and sins, God was able to quicken and He did quicken or we would not be the lovers of Christ that we are this day. But God who is rich in mercy... For His great love wherewith He loved us hath quickened us together with Christ. God, who quickens the spiritually dead to become spiritually alive and to have a new man that loves the things of the Lord Jesus Christ, the things of heaven, and believes the gospel that's contained in our Bibles. God quickens those dead. But you know, God is the source of all life. And He quickens the dead in other ways as well. The Lord Jesus Christ was given all authority and all judgment to raise the dead Himself as He declared about Himself in John chapter 5. For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself and hath given Him authority to execute judgment also. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And they that hear shall live. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth. In Romans 4.17, it says, God who quickeneth the dead. The word quicken means to make alive. We understand that. It's something we don't want to forget. When the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the judge of the quick and the dead, it means He's the judge of those that are alive and those that are dead. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns to earth, some will be dead and in cemeteries in their bodies, and some will be alive on earth, the quick and the dead, the alive and the dead. When he quickens, it's to make alive. God quickens the dead. Now in this passage, the quickening is the dead reproductive powers of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was a hundred years old, and he was dead reproductively. Sarah was ninety years old, And she was dead reproductively. And God said, you're going to father a son through Sarah. In respect, in consecutive chapters, verses 17 and 18, Abraham laughed first and Sarah laughed next at such a preposterous idea considered in the flesh because they were both dead. They had had their amusing, discouraging, frustrating and painful events as a husband and a wife realizing that they were dead sexually and reproductively. But God said, you're going to have a son by Sarah. God who quickeneth the dead. Keeping your finger at Romans chapter 4, look at Hebrews chapter 11 where it's confirmed by the Holy Ghost 
that Abraham and Sarah were not mistaken about their impotence. Their inability to have a child. What's the difference to God? Where do we come from anyway? He's able to create everything out of nothing by the power of His Word to, to extend reproductive ability to Abraham and Sarah, to revive it, first of all, to quicken it, to put life back into both of them. How would you like to... Any, let's not go there. I'm just thinking of women who would think that after 10 or 20 years of no monthly cycle, to have it start again would be quite a shock. But it did with Sarah. Praise God for His power. We should believe on Him. No matter what He says. No matter what you think. No matter what others say. No matter the doubts. No matter the difficulties. No matter the fact that you can't figure out how He's going to do it. Believe. Abraham believed. Look at Hebrews 11 and verse 12. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude. Where does that quotation come from? Is that Genesis 15, 5 and 6? Come out and count the stars. That's how many your seed's going to be. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead. The whole nation of Israel began from one man named Abraham. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore, innumerable. I wanted you to notice here, him as good as dead. God who quickeneth the dead. Abraham believed that. Come back to Romans chapter 4. Abraham believed that God could quicken Sarah's and his dead reproductive powers, which the Lord did so gloriously, that at a hundred, when he was dead reproductively, the Lord revived him, so that he and Sarah were able to live another 37 years together. And when that poor woman died, after being married to that revived man, he married another woman named Keturah and had six more sons. Praise the Lord. When the Lord quickens the dead, He quickens the dead. And the Bible wants us to know that because Genesis chapter 25 tells us about the wife that he married after Sarah, her name and the names of the six sons that he had by her. I want you to know that in Genesis chapter 23, Abraham bought a burial ground for Sarah because he believed that God quickeneth the dead. He wanted a burial place to put his wife Sarah, whom he joined in a few years beside her, and then Isaac and Rebekah, then Jacob and Leah, and then Joseph found that to be the family burial plot because Abraham knew God would raise the dead. He would raise Sarah. He didn't burn her body to get rid of it. Remember, he owned no property in Canaan. He didn't burn her body to get rid of it. He buried it in the ground. He knew the Lord Jesus Christ was coming back for it. The Bible tells us that he saw the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he understood things, though they were obscure and dark to him, he understood enough to be counting on the resurrection. He knew that God could quicken the dead so strongly that when he put Isaac bound on an altar to offer him as a burnt sacrifice, according to God's command, he knew in his heart that if I kill Isaac, God will raise him from the dead. That is how much God believed, I mean, that's how much Abraham believed, in God's ability to raise the dead. Do we believe that much? The body that you took care of, our sister and mother and grandmother, will be raised incorruptible. 
The body of Tabitha was raised a little sooner. But for those of you who read Acts chapter 9 last night, they washed her body and put it in an upper room. And Peter visited that body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and she looked and she saw Peter. And she sat up in bed and Peter gave his hand and lifted her up off that bed and offered her to the widows again. Now the Lord is able to quicken the dead. And we should believe that. We're thankful that He quickened our spirits. We're thankful that He's going to quicken our mortal bodies and make them immortal one of these days. Cemeteries are just a temporary holding place. They are not permanent in any sense of the word because the Lord Jesus Christ will tear them all to pieces by raising everybody up out of the ground. The righteous and the wicked will have their bodies put back together to live in eternity, body, soul, and spirit, either in hell or in heaven. And this will all be formally declared, pronounced, and executed in the great day of judgment that is coming. But thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have an advocate. We have a counselor. We have a mediator. We have a high priest. We have a daysman that shall be standing there beside God, the judge of all, who will deliver us in that day, and he will not lose one of us. This is the truth of the Bible. Verse 18, who against hope, believed in hope. When things appear hopeless in your life, believe in hope. Make your hope in God such that you know I am just waiting for God to perform what He has promised to do. Hope in the Bible is not, well, it might happen and it might not. That isn't hope. That's hopelessness. If it might not happen, that's hopeless even if it's a small percentage. Hope is believing in the God who is able to perform what He promises. And Abraham did that. Who against hope, believed in hope. It was first of all against hope because from a natural standpoint, there was no hope that Abraham and Sarah could have a child together. But against that hope, which appeared rather hopeless, he had hope because God had promised who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken in Genesis 15:6. so shall thy seed be. Verse 19, and being not weak in faith. Now we know he was weak in faith. But isn't it wonderful when the Bible tells us how God views our weaknesses in faith? He overlooks them. And I hope that you will lay hold of this, especially you melancholies that worry about your lack of faith. Okay, especially us melancholies who worry about our lack of faith and wonder how much faith we have and if we have enough faith to please God. Look at what he says, and being not weak in faith. But yet when God came to Abraham and told him these things, he first of all appealed to Eliezer to be his heir. Then he appealed to Ishmael to be his heir. Then he laughed to think that God could give him a son by way of Sarah. He lied twice that Sarah was his sister instead of his wife to protect himself in Egypt and with the Philistines. The man had a few weaknesses in faith, but notice how God describes it. And being not weak in faith, because overall, Abraham believed. Overall, Abraham was willing to pack his suitcases and load everything up and leave Ur of the Chaldeans to go into a land that he did not know. He was willing to get up early in the morning at the end of his life 
and take his son Isaac and offer him for a burnt offering on an altar. He was willing to do those things because he did believe. He was strong in faith overall. But he had his weak moments. And you're going to have your weak moments. And in your weak moments, remember this. Psalm 103, verse 13, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. That is no ordinary father to be used in the example. That verse is like many verses in the Bible where the Lord expects you to understand that is a good father. Like, because there are some fathers that don't pity their children. Those fathers are not in the equation. So you to understand, like as a good father, because only good fathers pity their children, so the Lord pitieth. That means He takes recognition of our weaknesses and has mercy upon us. Because the next verse goes on to say that. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He remembereth their frame, that they are dust. Thank you, Lord. Do you remind him of that from time to time? I suggest it to you that in your praying, you reason with holy scripture to the Lord and remind him that you are dust and that he should remember your frame and that he should take pity upon you. And yet you want to grow in faith. And that though you believe, you want him to help your unbelief. As the father of the lunatic in Mark chapter 9 asked the Lord Jesus Christ, Help thou my unbelief. I do believe, but I want to believe more. And that is why we come to church together. It's from the word of God to be encouraged to believe. To go out of those doors and to live our lives. And to see circumstances arising in our lives that cause us to fear. Cause us to doubt. But to lay hold on God's word again and to believe. Verse 19, being not weak in faith, and it tells us what a man who is not weak in faith does. That means it tells us what a man strong in faith does. He considers not. Do not consider your natural circumstances. You are trying to figure a way out of your particular maze in life by your understanding. God doesn't operate with your pitiful, limited, ignorant understanding. He has an infinite mind and is able to see an infinite number of ways out of your situation without using your way. Trust Him. Believe Him. The verse tells us what strong faith means. Don't look and worry about the things you can see and calculate are against you. You look in the checkbook and you say, there's no way I can make it. He was able to make the shoes of the Israelites last 40 years. And if your transmission lasts for 165,000 miles, like the abused little tranny on my Jeep, that is a blessing from heaven that has saved me several thousand dollars. 165,000 the way that thing's been driven? It's the mercy of God. It's a way He can pad your pocket in a different way. Just, Just one little sorry example. Remember, do not count your circumstances or look at them. He considered not his own body now dead. He did not try to figure out what's going to happen. Am I going to, am I going to look like a 16 year old again? Here I am a hundred. Am I going to go back to being 15, 20, 30? What's, I'm not going to elaborate any further for some of you with delicate ears. But he had to ask himself questions naturally, but he wouldn't do it because it was wasted effort. He just trusted God. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. And I've told you that that is one of the best ways to reason through some of the theological controversies 
and through some of the opponents that we will face in time against some of the things we believe. You don't need to worry about some of the skeptical, scornful questions that they throw up. You should believe God's Word and what He said and believe Him. He didn't consider things when He was a hundred, according to verse 19, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb when she was ninety, because Genesis 17 and 18 tell us that those were the ages. Verse 20, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He staggered not. When you do not fully believe God, then you start staggering through life. Instead of boldly, confidently, lifting up the head, lifting up the hands and the feeble knees, and the things that hang down, as Hebrews chapter 12 describes, you start staggering through life because you don't fully believe God's promises. And then your life is miserable because you're staggering. But he didn't stagger. Unbelief causes you to stagger. Instead of a confident, bold, efficient, godly life of one that believes the promises of God, you stagger because you have so many doubts, fears, and worries. But not Abraham. He staggered not at the promise of God. And yet, what does the Bible tell us? In Genesis chapter 17 and verse 17, it tells us that Abraham fell on his face in laughter before God at the thought of having a son by Sarah. Now that's some serious staggering when you fall down. But it was temporary. It was temporary. And when the Lord gave him his wits back, his wits of faith back, he resolved that he would trust God and he did not stagger further. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Unbelief is not trusting God, not believing God. Remember, That even though we may stagger at times, God will look at us overall. Samson is in Hebrews 11. Lot is in 2 Peter 2. Gideon is in Hebrews 11. I thought Gideon was going to put the battle off forever. I thought he would just keep fleecing the Lord. Is he in Hebrews 11? He's in Hebrews 11. By faith, Gideon. It took a few reminders from the Lord for him to get his faith fully established. But when it was fully established, with the Lord using the means that he did, and I hope you remember the whole story of Gideon, the Lord, after seeing the weakness of his faith, was not going to let him trust in a numerous army. He took that army of 32,000, whittled it down to 10,000, whittled it down to 300, and then told him the 300 had to blow trumpets in one hand and hold a torch in the other. That is not a fighting machine unless the Lord God of heaven tells you that's the way he wants you to do it. And they burst upon the camp of the Midianites that were as numerous as the sandwiches by the seashore, and they all woke up out of their sleep and killed each other, and it was a pretty good day for Israel. By faith, Gideon, he's in Hebrews 11, and I say all this to comfort you. He knows that about your faith. He knows that about your frame. Abraham didn't stagger at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. How can you increase your faith? Pray for it and read God's Word. Those are the two chief ways of increasing your faith. Let me repeat it again. When the father of the lunatic came to Jesus and said, Your disciples could not cast the devils out of my son. And I have been struggling with this event for a long time since he was a little boy. 
If you believe, nothing is impossible. I believe, help thou my unbelief. Did the Lord help his unbelief? The Lord healed his son. Right there, healed his son. How's that helping your unbelief? Is that, is that the best, is that the best possible help of your unbelief? Is to answer your, your weak faith right there on the spot? That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for the father of the lunatic. Pray for it. I believe, help thou my unbelief. Lord, we believe. But help our unbelief. Remember our frame, that we are weak. Strengthen our faith, that we would believe every promise and every description of your holy word, even if regarding things that we cannot see and are out of our sight and cannot figure out and appear impossible to us. Lord, help us. Increase our faith. Pray for it. And then read God's word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is given to you to read everything from simple historical Bible stories to the doctrinal promises contained in God's word of how he has saved us and to believe those things. The more you spend time in the word of God, the more you are going to see his hand in history helping individual men, helping nations, helping families, and you will believe that God is able to help you. Now, if you don't read the Bible and you read the books of the world who know nothing about faith, who know nothing about God, and have no basis for anything that they believe, and it's all going to burn up and vaporize one of these days very soon, you will not be feeding your soul what it needs. It needs every word of God. If you pray and read God's word, your faith will increase. If your faith is not as strong as it should be, it's because you're cheating in one or both of those areas. Pray for it and read God's word. Fill yourself with what the Bible describes about God doing in the affairs of men. There is nothing that is not dealt with in the Bible. There is a sermon outline on the website entitled, Is Anything Too Hard for the Lord? And it deals with 12 categories of your life with examples from the Bible where you can find them all put together in one place. Just go read down through that and find the area that you're most worried about, whether it's marital, whether it's your children, whether it's financial, professional, spiritual, whatever it might be. The Lord has given you answers in the Bible that nothing is too hard for him. Trust him, believe on him, and he will take care of your need. But notice the last few Words of verse 20, giving glory to God. Do you know what faith does? Faith is an act of worship that gives glory to God. God has infinite glory by himself. He doesn't need you or me to actually give him glory. He's got all the glory that the universe can handle. He is infinitely glorious. But we can give him glory in that we can declare it, show it, manifest it here on earth. And how do we do that? By faith? When we believe God against natural considerations, which would overthrow the minds of most other men, when we believe God against natural considerations, against probabilities and statistics, against what we know about life, when we believe God, we give Him glory that He is powerful enough to operate above anything that we can know or see. And He loves that. He wants us to trust Him. He is that God. Isn't that what Psalm 121 told us earlier this morning? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. When we trust Him, 
that He is stronger than any set of circumstances or evil in our lives, we are giving Him glory that He is able to operate above those things. But when you get discouraged because your set of circumstances looks impossible, and so you get discouraged and your faith is weakened, then you detract glory from God because you're not trusting Him to be able to see you through. I love these little words right here. Giving glory to God. Abraham looked at it as an opportunity. We can give glory to God, Sarah. I want to take you out tonight. Let's give glory to God and believe Him. What is the reaction that we have... What is the reaction that we have when we think about Jonathan and his armor bearer? Don't we think about his words as giving glory to God? When Jonathan and his armor bearer said, listen, it's boring sitting over here under under these trees waiting for a battle. Let's just go make one. doesn't matter to God whether there's many of us or few. Hey, there's two of us. That's a crowd with the Lord. When we read that story, doesn't it give glory to God? Because... Ordinarily, two men do not go take on a garrison for an afternoon activity. Ordinarily. Sometimes men will try to take on a garrison when their commanding officer tells them they have to. And he's got a forty-five on his belt to help them. But when it comes to Jonathan and his armor bearer, we see him giving glory to God by describing it doesn't matter to the Lord. Who cares how many are up there on the top of that cliff? We're just going to climb up there and rip them down. And so they did. Because they gave glory to God. When you believe God can and will do what men believe is impossible, you glorify Him. When we believe God in things that we cannot see, we glorify Him. We cannot see the Spirit leave the body. We see the effect of the Spirit leaving the body. But we cannot see the Spirit leave. We don't know where the Spirit goes except by the Bible. And if we believe just absolutely and without a shadow of a doubt, then we give glory to God. Because we're believing something He's revealed to us that we cannot see. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. And I hope that we'll walk by faith, not by sight. If we walk by sight, life is one miserable experience. But if we walk by faith, life just keeps getting better and better the more we learn and the closer we get to heaven. Verse 21 And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Fully persuaded. Are you fully persuaded? The Apostle Paul said, I am fully persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The Apostle Paul had committed his soul to the safekeeping of God through Jesus Christ. And he was persuaded that God was able to keep his soul right through the day of judgment. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Are you fully persuaded that there is nothing that can separate you or your loved ones that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ from the love of God? Right. Doesn't Romans chapter 8 verse 38 say, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things to come, nor things present, nor height, depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is living like Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham was persuaded of it and believed it, according to this verse, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, 
he was able also to perform. Are you equally persuaded about Romans chapter 8? He that spared on his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? The 32nd verse of that chapter. Do you believe those things? Moreover, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. If God be for us, who can be against us? What shall we then say to these things? Do you believe those things? Are you persuaded of them? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God. Do you believe all those things in Romans chapter 8? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Are you fully persuaded? Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Are you fully persuaded that what God has promised about life, death, and eternal life, God is able to perform? Are you fully persuaded that he is able to authorize and command chariots out of heaven to come down and take the soul and the spirit of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ out of this world through the interstellar spaces that take us so long to travel and by which we have to measure in light years? He doesn't take years to get a spirit to heaven because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, I don't care if it's a hundred million light years from heaven to earth, you're there. Are you able to believe that Elisha saw his great friend and teacher, Elijah, go to heaven just that way? It is not ordinarily seen. But when Elisha said, I want twice your spirit, which was quite a bold prayer request, Elijah said, if you see me go, then God's going to give you your prayer request Because it was a very unusual thing to see a spirit go into heaven. Except it was not just a spirit, was it? Grabbed Grabbed all of Elijah and put him in that chariot and took off. But he dropped his mantle. Did Elisha try to give it back? Elisha looked at that as one valuable possession that he had just got from Elijah. And we could go on and on with that Bible story. When you read that Bible story... Do you see the God of heaven commanding that chariot to come down and get Elijah? Can you see Lazarus out there at the rich man's gate with the dogs licking his sores? And a chariot is commanded out of heaven. And it arrives there and they take Lazarus. And what kind of an entrance does he get into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? An abundant. There was one gate he was not allowed in in this world. There was another gate at the entrance of heaven that was opened abundantly to him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you fully persuaded of those things? Or are they just fables of the Word of God? Paul said, I am persuaded. In Romans 8, he said it again in 2 Timothy chapter 1, that what he had promised, he is able to perform. You know, God wants you to be so convinced of the sureness of his salvation. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says, to confirm it to the heirs of the promise. He confirmed it by an oath. And since God couldn't figure out who to swear by that's greater than He is, you know, we go to court and swear with the greatest thing possible. Do you swear to tell the whole truth, 
and nothing but the truth, so help you God, I do. We swear by the highest authority in the universe in a Christian nation that no longer acts Christian in any way except by its oath in court, which sometimes it alters these days. God swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee. And the God that cannot lie and his is and who is immutable swore so that we would have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That as an anchor for our souls, so that we would not be tossed to and fro on the waves of life, we would be securely bound by that anchor of God's promise who cannot lie and who swore with an oath. Right. That's Hebrews 6, the last ten verses of the chapter. Believe those verses. He trusted in God's power to perform. The ability is in the Lord, and it's in verse 21. Being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able. He was able. God was able, which made the heavens and the earth. He is able. God was able to resurrect the reproductive powers of Abraham and Sarah, and he's able to do anything he has promised, you or me. Verse 22, therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. That is the kind of faith that the Bible is looking for from us that is the evidence of eternal life and that God counts and formally declares to be an evidence of a righteous man. He has made him righteous. He has granted him the faith. And when that faith is put into practice, that's the evidence that that person is a righteous man. We believe God against all natural considerations and that God has the power to perform what he has promised. Though we may stagger briefly, though we may be weak in faith briefly, overall, we trust God. We believe God. We expect and wait on God to perform what He has promised us. Verse 23 tells us Genesis 15:6 was not written for His sake alone, that it was imputed to Him. This verse to me is so precious for us Gentiles, removed by several thousand years from Abraham, and from Moses, to realize that the Bible and every word that is in it is written for a purpose that is personal to those generations and centuries and millennia later than the event that was described there. It was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Genesis 15.6 is just not for us to know that Abraham's faith got the commendation of God And God counted that to him as an act of righteousness. And therefore counted him to be a righteous man. Verse 24, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. In verse 25 is our legal salvation. In verse 24 is our practical conversion of believing the record that God has given of His Son. Do you believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead? Do you believe the God of heaven raised up the Lord Jesus Christ from His death and His entombment, sealed by Pilate with a great stone at the mouth of that cave, but raised up out of that ground to sit at God's right hand? That is what we are told to believe. Abraham was told to believe that the vast number of stars in the sky at night was symbolic of the great number, the innumerable seed that he would have. We're not asked to believe that because God hasn't made us the father of many nations. 
But God has given to us the witness and the testimony of what He has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, and He calls on us to believe that record that is given to us in the Word of God, that God raised Him from the dead. Do you believe that? That is the faith that we are called upon to show. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we close. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, your earthly house of this tabernacle is your temporary home and your physical body. We know that if it's dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. There's a glorified body in store for us. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. We get sick and tired of these dying, decaying bodies. And so did our brother, and we with him. Verse 4, For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. We're looking for the fulfillment and the completion of all things God has planned for us. This verse says it's not just that we want to depart this body to be by our spirits in heaven. We're looking for our bodies to be remade in a glorified fashion and put on us. When mortality, see the spirit's not mortal, it's the body. When the mortality of the human body is replaced with an immortal body. Verse 5, now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God. God made you for this purpose who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident. Are you confident? Do you believe the things that God has declared in His Word? Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We know that there are two possible places for us, and that while we're still in our bodies, and our body is still breathing, and our heart is still beating, that we are absent from the Lord. But the moment that our spirit leaves this body, and it's when the spirit leaves the body that death occurs. Death doesn't occur at the flat line, and death doesn't occur when there's no more heartbeats. That's a little late. Death occurs when the spirit leaves, when God takes the spirit out of a body. That spirit is what animates your body and those organs that I just mentioned. Because look, therefore we are always confident. Always confident. That's a person persuaded that God is able to perform what He has described and promised in Scripture. Knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Skip the parentheses for a moment. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That is a child of God full of faith. And the Apostle Paul was one of them, and he uses the plural pronoun to refer to himself and other ministers and to believers at Corinth and to believers in Greenville that believe these things. We are confident, I say, and willing rather, because it's better, to be absent from the body, which is to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. And this day should be an occasion where we all examine ourselves and determine with the Apostle Paul that we will labor so that whether present or absent in these bodies, we may be accepted of Him. That while we're in these bodies, still on earth, that God accepts of our labors on His behalf. And that when we stand before Him and give an account of our entire lives, as the verse 10 describes, we will be accepted of Him legally in the righteousness of Christ but practically in the obedience 
that we have given him while we were alive. These are the things God has declared. Jesus said to Martha and Mary in respective exchanges, Thy brother shall rise again. Well, Lord, I know he'll rise in the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Believest thou this? See the stars? Count them, Abraham. So shall thy seed be. Believest thou this? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Believest thou this? This is how we apply the faith of Abraham. May the Lord bless us, strengthen us, encourage us to believe the things that God has declared about his son, that he has raised him from the dead. He sits at God's right hand and he's coming for us soon. And if we die before then, it is a privilege and a pleasure to depart from this body and to be present with the Lord. Absent here, present there. Present here, absent there. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Abraham's faith given to us as an example. And the object of our faith should be our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should believe all these things that are written about our departed brother who, if he were here, would tell us that Romans 4 is absolutely true, 2 Corinthians 5 is absolutely true, and for you to lay hold of them by faith. You say, I want greater faith. Then pray for it and read the Word of God. Feed your souls with the Word of God. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.